Welcome to the briefing webinar for our 22nd annual State of the Air Report. My name is Diana Van Vliet, and I am the National Director of Outreach and Engagement for the American Lung Association's Healthy Air Campaign. Today you will hear from me, Laura Kate Bender, our National Assistant Vice President for Healthy Air, and Liz Muller, our National Director of Advocacy for, for Healthy Air. We will be answering questions at the end of today's presentation. Please enter your questions in the Q&A box at any time throughout the presentation. And if, you, if we don't get to your question today, we will follow up with you. Next slide, slide, please. Before we get into the report findings, let's take a moment to talk about why we put this, why we put this report out every year. Next slide, please. The State of the Air report puts air pollution into everyday language and gives the public local air quality information. It also focuses attention specifically on ground level ozone pollution or smog and particle pollution or SIT. It gives grades to the 935 U.S. counties with air quality monitors and ranks the 25 metro areas with the worst pollution for the three pollutants we look at. It also includes a cleanest cities list. Next slide, please. The report, the report champions clean air for all by providing relevant local data that provides context, and it includes stories from individuals imp impacted personally by air pollution, like the one shown here. It also shows that air pollution doesn't impact Americans equally, and it includes the key message that everyone deserves clean air. It calls to prioritize health equity and environmental justice, and includes specific advocacy priorities and tools for taking action. Our report also focuses on the specific health harms of air pollution. Breathing air pollution harms everyone, even healthy adults, but some groups face an even higher risk. We call attention to the millions who are at higher risk because of the air in their communities, too. Those who are at risk or more vulnerable to air pollution include children, anyone 65 or older, people who work or exercise outdoors, people with existing lung diseases such as asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD, people with cardiovascular disease, people who have a history of smoking, people with lung cancer, people of color, people with low incomes. Basically, someone in everyone's family faces a greater risk from air pollution. The report also includes information about how to protect yourself and your family from exposure to unhealthy levels of air pollution. Next slide, slide please. Thank you. Now let's get into what this year's report actually found. Next slide. The key messages from this year's State of the Air report are that the nation continues to make progress in cleaning up the air, but more than four in 10 Americans live with unhealthy levels of air pollution, so too many Americans, despite the progress we've made. Key message, Key messages also include that the burden of living with polluted air is not equally shared, that people of color are significantly more likely to be exposed to unhealthy levels of ozone and particle pollution, and that we must prioritize cleaning up disproportionately burdened communities so that everyone has an equal opportunity to breathe clean air. Next slide, please. Digging into these findings a bit more, we found that more than 135 million people live in counties that received at least one F grade for air pollution. 
That's down from 115 million last year, but is 10 million more than in 2017's report. Most of the imp improvement in this year's report, which covers the years 2017, 2018, and 2019, was in counties that had failing grades for ozone pollution in the previous report. Unfortunately, the threat of deadly particle pollution continues to get worse. This year's report showed that in, there was an increase of more than 1 million people living in areas with unhealthy levels of short-term particulate matter pollution as compared to last year. Next slide, please. For the second year, we have been able to include people of color in our counts for populations at risk, which has revealed a clear disparity. Looking at the data nationwide, we found that people of color are 61% more likely to live in a county with a failing grade for at least one pollutant than white people, and over three times as likely to live in a county with all three failing grades. Next slide, please. Once again this year, the State of the Year report shows that climate change continues to play a role in the nation's air quality. The heat and drought caused by climate change in the western United States are causing wildfires that are larger, more frequent, and more widespread. These fires are the primary driver of the increase we're seeing in short-term particulate matter pollution. Heat also has an important role in the formation of ground-level ozone pollution, or smog. We speculate that the, that the reason this year's report showed improvements in ozone levels over the 2017 to 2019 time period is that the year 2016, which is the hottest year on record globally, dropped out of the calculations after three years of being in the state of the year reports. Having said that, 2017, 2018, and 2019 were a little cooler than 2016, but they are still among the six hottest years globally. Climate change continues to worsen, causing average temperatures to keep rising, making ozone pollution more likely to form and harder to clean up. Next slide, please. So it's important to note that the State of the Air 2021 report covers the years 2017, 2018, and 2019, as I mentioned, and it does not reflect any changes in activity patterns and air quality that may have resulted from the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. That data will not be available until next year. But we know that the quality of the air we are breathing has an impact on the severity of the pandemic. Research has shown that a community's exposure to even small increases in particulate matter pollution over the long term can lead to an increase in COVID-19 death rates. Communities of color have been caught in the perfect storm. Many, of, many people of color are disproportionately exposed to unhealthy air, and the air pollution increases susceptibility to respiratory infections. It also worsens underlying chronic conditions like heart disease and diabetes, which are more common in communities of color. These chronic conditions also increase the risk of serious harm from COVID-19. Communities of color have been especially hard hit by COVID-19, and improving air quality will be essential to protecting the health of people who live in these communities. I will now turn it over to Laura Kate Bender, National Assistant Vice President for Healthy Air, and you can advance the slide. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Diana. Um, thank you all so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate everyone's continued interest in the State of the Air report. Um, I'm going to take a couple minutes to dive a bit um, in more depth into the results that Diana just gave an overview of, and then I'm going to take you on a quick tour of what's on the State of the Air website. Um, 
So first off, um, a quick reminder, as Diana mentioned, we give three grades in this report, um, one for ozone, one for short-term particle pollution on any given day, and one for the day-in, day-out annual amount of part particle pollution. Um, so first to dive a bit into ozone levels. So as Diana mentioned, we did see some improvement um, in ozone levels this year. So three out of every eight Americans um, are currently living in counties with a failing grade for ozone. Obviously, that is far too many. Um, but it is fewer than in the 2020 report, as Diana mentioned. Um, we also took a look at the um, average across the 25 most ozone-polluted cities in the period covered by the report. And we found that they, um, on average, had fewer bad air days. In fact, um, in the individual cities of that list, 19 out of 25 had fewer unhealthy days in this year's report than they did last year, leaving only six to have more unhealthy days. Um, so again, overall seeing improvement in this category um, with the caveat, as Diana mentioned, that um, of course, while the years that this report covers are among the hottest on record, um, they no longer include 2016, the current hottest year on record. And we know that heat impacts ozone. Next slide, please. Here's a quick look at the top 10 list of the most polluted cities for ozone. Um, unfortunately, Los Angeles continues, the Los Angeles Metro continues to hold the distinction that it has for all but one of the years that we've re been releasing this report. So 21 out of 22 years, it has been the most polluted city for ozone. Of course, part of the overall story that we tell with this report is that despite the fact that they still have an F, the overall track record is good um, in improvements. Again, overall, the cities on this list experienced fewer bad ozone days in this year's report than they did over last year's. Next slide, please. New this year for the report are these maps. Um, so these look at population by county. This one is for ozone. So the size of the circle represents the county population. Um, red is F, blue is A. And what you can see here is that this is a widespread pollution problem. As contrasted with particle pollution, which you'll see in a moment, um, ozone is a nationwide concern. There are red dots all over the country. Um, you'll also see that there's a lot of blank spots, and that's because um, much of the country, um, the majority of the counties in the country, in fact, don't have monitors for ozone. In counties where there are monitors, um, the proportion of people living in areas that get a failing grade for ozone is actually half. Next page, please. Next slide, please. Now let's talk about particle pollution. So this is where the, the bulk of the bad news is in this year's report. So particle pollution continued to rise in the state of the year 2021. 1.1 million more people um, are living in places that had an unhealthy levels of spikes in particle pollution compared to last year's report. Um, in fact, we've seen increases year over year for the last several years. Um, just like ozone, we have a top 25 list of the most polluted for spikes in particle pollution. 12 of those cities had either the same or worse um, numbers of high particle days or high particle averages than they did last year. Um, and five actually broke their own records for particle pollution for the second year in a row. Um, as we'll talk about a bit more in the methodology, we also look at the level of um, unhealthy particle pollution on any given day. Um, if you know the air quality index, which we'll talk about, um, you'll know that maroon is at the worst end of the index. It's ranked as very hazardous. This year, we actually had four cities in the period covered by the report have a very hazardous day. Um, and we know that this is linked, as, as Diana said, in large part to wildfires. Um, that wildfires driven by climate change are driving a lot of these increases in particle pollution. 
I will also note another big source of particle pollution in addition to industrial sources is wood stoves and wood heaters as well. Next slide, please. So here's our list of the top 10 most polluted cities for short-term or spikes in particle pollution. Um, you'll see that we have a newcomer at the top of this list this year, Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, major wildfires in 2019 actually pushed Fairbanks into the most polluted short-term PM spot for the first time. A lot of the other cities on this list are um, not newcomers, um, but you'll notice that it's dominated by cities in the Western US. So Pittsburgh, Metro, and Lancaster, Pennsylvania um, are the only two Eastern cities on the overall top 25 list. You'll notice they don't appear in the, the worst 10. Next slide, please. And as you can see on this map, um, we really are talking about a largely Western problem here. So again, the circles um, are bigger for bigger populations and red is F and blue is A. So you can see that the vast majority of places that have unhealthy levels of particle pollution for short-term spikes are in the West, with the exception of those couple of red dots um, in Lancaster and the Pittsburgh area that I mentioned. Next slide, please. On to year-round particle pollution. So again, this is another measure of particle pollution that we take. Um, it looks at the day-in, day-out level of PM because we know that even exposure to lower levels on a daily basis can prove to be harmful for health. The news is a little bit more mixed in this category. So again, we have that top 25 list of most polluted cities um, for year-round particles. 13 of them did worse um, to, in fact, set their records for worse, but then 10 had improved levels and three actually had record-breaking good years. So again, um, some mixed results here, um, overall a little bit uh, better than the results that we saw in last year's report. Um, quick reminder on this measurement, it's a little bit different in the report than how we do the other two. Um, we give A through F grades for ozone and short-term particles, um, for year-round particles simply pass or fail. Next slide, please. So here is that uh, top 10 list for the most polluted cities for year-round particle pollution. Um, at Bakersfield, again, is the top of this list. Next slide, please. And then here's our map. And again, as you can see, um, the red circles um, are concentrated in the western part of the United States, with the exception of a couple of spots in um, Pennsylvania. Next slide, please. Now onto the good news, our cleanest cities. Um, so to make it onto our overall cleanest cities list, um, you had to have zero days of high ozone, zero days of spikes in short-term particle pollution, and you had to be on the top 25 cleanest list for annual particle pollution. Um, so these are the five cities in alphabetical order um, that uh, met all three of those measures. Um, I'll note that Charlottesville and Elmira Corning are new to this list. Um, you may also notice, if you follow this report, that Bangor, Maine is not on the list, which it usually is. Um, it was actually um, not included because it had incomplete air quality data for the period covered in this report. Next slide, please. So what does this all mean? So one thing that we like to point out is that overall, the Clean Air Act is working. The trajectory, and I'll show you how to find this on the website in a minute, but the trajectory of um, air pollution levels in the country overall is a big downward trend. We have made enormous progress by implementing and enforcing the Clean Air Act over the past decades to clean up sources of unhealthy pollution. 
That's driven things like the transition from old dirty diesel trucks um, and other heavy duty vehicles. Um, Of course, we've seen cleaner cars. We've seen um, switching to dirtier sources of electricity to cleaner ones. So overall, the Clean Air Act continues to to be a driving force behind the progress that we've seen over the history of the report. However, as Diana pointed out, uh, we are seeing the impacts of climate change in this report and continue to see it. Um, particularly this year, by the um, the increase in wildfires and the particle pollution levels that we see responding to those increases. Um, we also know that, of course, that cleanup has not been shared equally, um, and that in many cases, communities, including um, communities of color, have been left behind in that cleanup. Now, obviously, implementing and enforcing the Clean Air Act is a top priority for the Lung Association. Liz will dive into that a bit more um, later on in the presentation when we talk about advocacy. But overall, a key message for this report is that the Clean Air Act is working and we need to act on climate change and redouble our efforts to protect, implement, and enforce the Clean Air Act if we want to see continued progress. Next slide, please. Okay, so I'll quickly take you on a tour of the website. We have made a few changes this year, so if you um, have known where to look in the past, just keep an ear out for some updates that we've made. So first, if you take nothing else from today's presentation, lung.org slash SOTA is where you can find all of these results. Um, so there's several features there. Um, we do have a PDF version of the report that's available for download at the website. Um, so if you prefer print, we have it. Um, but the website itself has a lot more features. Um, so a couple here, um, we have um, a zip code lookup and a compare your air feature. And that lets you um, type in your zip code, select your state, um, and then also you'll have the ability with the compare your air feature to put two um, counties side by side. Next slide, please. So the bulk, the meat of the results in the report that we've walked through here today are in the key findings sections. And that includes a lot of the overall national level information that we've shared. So it includes nationwide results, um, the trends for each pollutant. So we break it down by ozone, short term and annual PM. Um, we had include the list of the worst 25 cities for each. We talk a little bit about where the sources of pollution are coming from and what's driving cleanup. Um, we dive into who is at risk, um, and we also, of course, include that cleanest list. Next slide, please. Where you get the specifics for your own area um, is in that state select or lookup box. So. On the homepage of the report, lung.org slash SOTA, you can type in your zip code or you can select your state. Um, and that will take you to either your county or a list of counties um, in your state. That list will include um, both places that do and don't have monitors. So remember, not every county has a monitor for air pollution. Next slide, please. Just to give you a quick example of what this looks like. So here is a sample page, and this is actually from last year's. Um, but a sample page for Hartford County, um, which is part of the Washington DC um, metropolitan area. So you'll see that it includes the grades for ozone and particle pollution and F and a B. um, That's the short-term particle grade. It includes a pass for particle pollution annual grades. That's the pass-fail one. Um, And then a couple things to point out here. So one, um, that tab on the left is your county that you looked up. The tab right next to it on the right is the broader area. So you can look at the whole metro area. Um, The other thing that you'll find on these pages in addition to the grade is the populations at risk totals. So one of the things that I love most about this report is that even for places that don't have air quality monitors, we're still able to provide information because we have estimates of the populations that are at risk. So as Diana mentioned, 
kids with asthma, adults with COPD, etc. Um, those are all available for every county, even if there's no monitor. Um, one caution I will note here, um, which is that those are all calculated from various um, official sources and estimates, but they can't be added together. So if you try to add the um, total list of people at risk, um, you will get an inaccurate number because it'll double count um, across people that have more than one risk factor. So that is my caution as you amplify the report and you highlight the folks who are at greater risk in each place of unhealthy levels of air pollution, um, just know to talk about them separately. So, you know, X kids with asthma and Y adults with asthma, for instance. Next slide, please. Okay, here's what I mentioned earlier. These are the trend charts. Um, so when you um, click on a county or a metro tab, tab, you will be able to see the trend lines for each of the measures of pollution that we cover. Um, I love this feature because it really does tell the story about how overall, over the course of this report, the action the nation has taken under the Clean Air Act have driven dramatic improvement in air quality. So you can see that overall downward trend. However, they also largely show an uptick at the end of the map um, in the recent reports, and that's what we we're able to tie in large part to the impacts of climate change, either through increased heat driving more ozone pollution or um, increased conditions for wildfires driving more particle pollution. So the blue line is where the county or metro um, levels are. That dark line at the bottom is um, what the national standard, the current national standard for that pollutant. So it lets you see if the levels in that county um, are passing or failing according to our methodology. Next slide, please. Another section I'll draw folks' attention to in the report is the health impact of air pollution section. Every year, um, we, and really this is the, the work of our lead author, um, she combs through the recent research on ozone and particle pollution to pull together the most recent information on the health impacts. So this is the section where you can go to get a little bit of a deeper dive into what the specific health impacts are of ozone short-term and long-term particle pollution. Um, it also includes more information on who's at risk and a little bit about why. Um, and there's a new section called Emerging Threats that talks a little bit about climate change, of course, as we're um, just seeing the beginning of um, in our report results, uh, a little bit more about wildfires, and then finally, some information about COVID-19, because as Diana mentioned, even though this year's report doesn't cover the lockdowns and um, pollution changes from responding to the pandemic, we do know that we now have um, hundreds of thousands of Americans who may be at increased risk of air quality issues um, because they are COVID survivors. And so that's a, a key emerging issue that I'll highlight here. Next slide, please. Great, and now I will turn it over to Diana to dive a bit more into the methodology. Thanks, Sarah Kate. Next slide, please. All right, so um, the first step uh, as we you know, start uh, to put together this report is for the states to collect air quality data from the air quality monitors across each state. The data for this year's report was, as you've heard, um, already collected from um, 2017, 2018, and 2019. And uh, we use these uh, years of data because these are the latest available and the latest um, quality assured data available. EPA then reviews this data and posts it online where our consultant downloads it and prepares it for us. We use this data to calculate unhealthy days, weighted averages, design values, grades, and rankings. Next slide, please. The A through F grades that we use, um, we give out for ozone 
uh, pollution and particle pollution, and they are rough numerical equivalents depending um, if the days are counted as orange, red, purple, and maroon on the air quality index. Next slide, please. It is important to note that not all counties receive air quality grades, and this is because we need data in order to assign grades, and not all counties have air quality monitors. In fact, fewer than a third of counties have monitors. Furthermore, not all counties have both ozone monitors and particle pollution monitors. And it is important to, to point out that EPA and states decide which counties get monitors for air quality. Next slide, please. And then lastly, while we, um, while the report gives counties grades, um, we give cities a ranking. So we have separate rankings uh, for ozone pollution, for short-term particle pollution, and for year-round year particle pollution. Cities usually have more than one county, and we rank them by weighted average or design value of the most polluted county in that metropolitan area. In order to determine what counts as a city, we follow the Office of Management and Budget's definition. So based on their definition, we break out metropolitan statistical areas, which may combine more than one city. Um, and with that, I will now turn it over to Liz Muller, the National Director of Advocacy for Healthy Air, and you can um, advance this time. Thanks. Good morning, everyone, and uh, happy State of the Air Day. We hope that this report will continue to be useful in uh, advocacy efforts. So I'm going to walk through what our action opportunity is with this report, as well as some new features that highlight some policy recommendations. Next slide. Our advocacy message with this year's State of the Air is join us in calling on President Biden to promote environmental justice by prioritizing historically burdened communities for pollution cleanup and to receive the benefits of investments in the transition to electric vehicles and clean renewable electricity. As Diana and Laura Kate have shared, people of color continue to face a disproportionate and unacceptable risk of breathing in air pollution. President Biden has made strong commitments to environmental justice, and we want to ensure that those commitments are followed through with action. Next slide. So we do have a petition for individuals to sign on with that ask. It can be found at lung.org backslash soda petition. It will go to President Biden asking his administration to make good on the promise of clean air benefits for all. Next slide. Now I want to move on to sharing a new and exciting section that is in this year's State of the Year report. Uh, State of the Year veterans may know that last year we had a uh, threats section and a threats and opportunities. Um, the dangers of air pollution and climate change are indeed threats, but we wanted this year to be a little bit different. The new section is called Protect Yourself and Your Community, and it covers three things. Uh, what you can do to reduce your personal risk, ways to improve the air in your community, and this is tied with our Stand Up for Clean Air initiative that has even more tips and resources, and you can find that at lung.org air. And then lastly, it uh, talks about promoting clean air policies. Next slide. So in promoting clean air policies, we list 10 key actions that the federal government must take geared towards different audiences. On the State of the Air website, you can read more description on why these are uh, actions that we call for. 
To President Biden, we ask for his administration to ensure investments in climate action benefit, uh, to ensure investments in climate action benefit underserved communities. So this is what our petition is. To Congress, we urge members to pass COVID recovery legislation that builds healthier communities and to invest in state, local, and tribal air quality monitoring. As we saw, there's a ton of, of counties that do not have monitors. Uh, to EPA, we have a few asks. Uh, to set stronger national limits on ozone and particle pollution, to limit methane from new and existing oil and gas sources, and to clean up wood heaters, which can be major contributors to particle pollution. We ask the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, to account for the health benefits of cleaning up air pollution. It's estimated that health benefits often outweigh the cost by more than 30 to 1. But cost-benefit analyses often fail to capture uh, the multitude of health harms or to accurately reflect the disproportionate burden it places on some communities. OMB must ensure that health and equity are better accounted for. Uh, President Biden reestablished an interagency working group on social cost of greenhouse gases, and we ask them to set a social cost of carbon that reflects the health impacts. And lastly, we ask the Department of Health and Human Services to help integrate climate and health across the federal government. We have tremendous opportunity to see a lot of good happen across multiple agencies and branches of government to address climate and health. And we hope that this report and these recommendations can um, help amplify that, that urgency. Next slide. So if you did not know already, uh, the American Lung Association has a cohort of health and medical professionals who are part of a group that is stepping up to support action to address air pollution and climate change. It's called the Health Professionals for Clean Air and Climate Action. Uh, if you are a medical profession, professional listening today, you can go to lung.org slash climate changes health to sign up to receive their monthly newsletter, which provides easy opportunities to take action uh, and to also share your story on why climate action is important to you as a health professional. Next slide. So the state of the air fund doesn't stop with this webinar. Uh, today at 2 p.m. Eastern, we will be conducting a Twitter storm. We'll be tweeting live from our account, which is at Lung Association, uh, from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern using the hashtag state of the air. We would love to have as much amplification of this report today as possible, especially between that hour of 2 to 3 Eastern. So thank you in advance for uh, your help in sharing this report on Twitter. Next slide, please. If you have any questions on anything that was discussed today or in the report, here's who you contact for what. So Diana is the point person for anything uh, related to partnerships and media. You can contact me, Liz, for questions about advocacy and the petition. And then uh, Laura Kate is the uh, go-to person for questions about the report content. And so our emails are listed here. Uh, if you do not have our emails already, um, feel free to take them down here. I'll <laughs> leave the slide up for a second. Okay, next slide, please. So now we're on to questions. Um, as a reminder, please put any questions that you have in the chat box and we'll try to get to as many as possible, but do not fret. If we do not get to all of them, we will be sure to follow up after today's event. Thanks so much, Liz. 
Um, I will go ahead and start to read some of the questions that we're getting through in the chat already. Um, thank you again, and just a reminder, you can enter your questions in that Q&A box. Um, so I will uh, combine a couple here um, and, and uh, let Laura, Kate, and Liz take this. So where can we find a copy of this year's report, um, and is the petition live yet? I can start. Um, so again, two ways to dig into the data. One is just to use the website at long.org slash SOTA, um, but if you want the PDF copy, um, I believe that is on the For the Media page, and you can download it there. I can also include a direct link in response to your question in the Q&A box. And the petition is live. Feel free to send away. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Um, two related questions here, so I'll, I'll ask them back to back. Um, if our county does not have a monitor for ozone or particle pollution, how can we help uh, get one set up? Um, and then relatedly, um, how do states and EPA decide which counties should be monitored? Great questions and I can start. So as you mentioned, so we base our data on those official monitors from EPA. And so those are the regulatory monitors that for the most part, EPA actually funds um, states and localities to place. There's really specific siting criteria that EPA uses to establish where those monitors can go. And there's a number of things they take into account, but they're in general trying to get a good sense of where a large chunk of the population is getting exposed to unhealthy levels of air pollution, if they are. Um, so we, as a big advocacy party for the Lung Association, we have been calling um, for big increases in the funding that EPA provides to states and um, local governments, as well as for tribes to do that monitoring work because we totally agree that too many people don't have a good official sense of the quality of the air they're breathing because there's no official monitor there. So again, the um, EPA is largely the one funding, states and localities are the ones deciding where they are placed um, and it's according to specific criteria. Um, if you want, I'm happy to follow up with some suggestions for how you might be able to get involved in the process locally. Thanks so much, Sir Kate. Okay, anything else on air quality monitors? All right, um, next question. How are the most polluted cities for annual particulate matter pollution ranked? If it's pass, fail, rather than grade? Is it the annual average, days above a certain level? Great question. Um, so. This is, for this measure, we use something called the design value. Basically, EPA um, takes this, it's essentially a, a special average that EPA takes called the design value for that annual PM measurement. Um, so it is a numerical value, and we use that to rank it. Um, EPA calculates that to um, help establish whether communities are meeting the legal um, limit of particle pollution that's allowed to be at an annual level, and so we use that same number um, to do our rankings. Um, and you can actually find the design values in the results for a particular county. Thanks, Laura Kate. Okay, so next question. Um, can you speak about the impacts of oil and gas development in communities like Eddy County, New Mexico, where we saw heightened ozone levels during the three years of the report or study when oil and gas was booming? 
Sure. Um, and I should have said this earlier, but the, I'm, I'm Laura Kate Fender, uh, National Assistant Vice President for Healthy Air, is currently responding. Yeah, so I can't speak offhand to the specifics of the county. And so as a starting point, I'm very happy to put you in touch with our local advocate there if you're not already. Um, and we can do that after the call. Um, but I will note, so yes, we know that oil and gas drilling operations lead to emissions of some of the precursor pollutants that react to form ozone. So those volatile organic compounds that mix in the atmosphere um, with other emissions to form ozone. So we have long called for limits on um, methane pollution and VOCs from oil and gas operations in part because of the ozone impacts. Um, just speaking broadly though, one of the challenges is that because the way we site or the way EPA and states site monitoring um, is often to cover the biggest chunk of the population they can, we don't necessarily have monitors in all the places that are being impacted by oil and gas development. So we could have unhealthy levels of ozone due to um, these operations that people aren't being alerted to. Super helpful. Thanks, Laura Kate. Okay, next question. If we want to find more information on specific counties or projection for projections for specific counties, can we speak to one of you here at the Lung Association or someone else from this report? Or would we have to contact our county's health slash environmental departments? We are happy to be your starting point. Um, so we Diana, Liz, and I all work at the national level. Um, we have great staff who have um, analyzed the data for the eastern and western part of the countries and done more of a deeper dive into the specific um, trends that we're seeing with this year's results in given metro areas. Happy to put you in touch with the right person for the area that you're interested in. Um, and then also happy to put you in touch with our um, local or regional advocacy staff who may be able to talk further about the specific sources that are contributing to the, um, those pollution levels. Um, if you wouldn't mind um, sharing in the Q&A if there's a particular area that you're interested in or sending one of us a note, we would be happy to follow up. Wonderful, okay. Um, so, can you help me understand how wildfires are caused by climate change? Everything I read says that up to 90% of wildfires are caused by humans. Um, and I can take a, a quick stab at this. Um, so, wildfires are fueled uh, by climate change. So, changing climate conditions um, make drought um, and heat uh, more likely uh, and, and, and increasing temperatures. These, all these factors contribute to drier situations. Um, that lead to longer wildfire seasons and more intense wildfires. Um, so we can say that climate change definitely fuels um, more intense and frequent wildfires. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I think I totally agree. I mean, it, you know, it might be a human-caused activity that causes the, the literal spark, but the fact that these fires are burning larger and longer for more of the season um, is driven in large part by conditions that we're seeing change due to climate change. Thanks. Okay. Um, is there a chance you could do the same analysis with a level of 60 ppb or parts per billion for ozone and 9 for annual particulate matter 2.5 or PM 2.5? just to see what it would be if EPA had done its job and set standards for health and not industry? I love this question. <laughs> so 
to set some context here for folks, so we use um, the same numbers that EPA uses for setting its national limits on these pollutants. So EPA has a national limit on short-term particle pollution, annual particle pollution, and ozone. Now, those limits under the Clean Air Act are supposed to be based on what the health science says is necessary to be safe to breathe. So in theory, that limit on ozone, for instance, should be the point at which it is healthy to breathe ozone and no higher. Unfortunately, um, and I will put my advocacy hat here on for a minute, unfortunately, um, the current standards for these pollutants um, are not reflective of what the science says is safe to breathe. So for example, the um, as, as was flagged in the question, the, um, the levels um, allowed for ozone and annual PM um, do not currently reflect what the health science says is necessary to keep people safe. So they allow levels of each pollutant that are shown to be unhealthy in the science. That's why one of the big priorities in our policy priority section is to, for EPA to set stronger limits on these pollutants. Um, so we use EPA's levels in our report. Um, and I think you know what, what the question is asking is, would it be possible for us to run the same calculations at the levels that we've asked EPA to set, those more protective standards? We haven't done this in the past. It's certainly something that we can explore. Um, we also work closely with the American Thoracic Society who has released their own report that actually does do some of these projections um, to look at what the health benefits might be of setting a stronger standard. That's called the Health of the Air Report, um, and I can follow up with, um, with the, the question um, to share the link. Um, I believe that's something that they are planning on updating as well. Awesome, great question. Thanks, Laura Kate. All right, next question. Why are exceptional events slash natural events not excluded from the data analysis? Sure, so some, some quick context on this question. So when EPA decides whether a community is meeting those national limits on air pollution, they exclude events that they deem to be out of the community's control. So basically the way the Clean Air Act works is there's a health-based standard for a pollutant. Um, EPA determines using its monitoring network whether communities are meeting those standards or whether the pollution is too high. Um, and then if they determine that the pollution levels are too high, they work with the state or community to take steps to clean it up so, so that they come into compliance with the standards. Um, when EPA makes those calculations, they um, exempt events that are deemed to be out of the community's control. Um, and I think you know the thought there is that it doesn't make sense to include them um, if the community can't take measures to clean them up. So for example, if it was you know a major wildfire and this deemed to be exceptional as opposed to a local source of pollution that's a little easier to address for the community. I think, you know, from our perspective, we have a different purpose with state of the air than EPA does when it makes its calculations. Our purpose is to give people information about the quality of the air that they're breathing. And we like to say, your lungs don't care whether an event is an exceptional event or not. What we want people to understand is the levels of ozone and particle pollution in their communities. Um, and of course, from an advocacy perspective, we want to translate people's interest into action to clean up those sources. But we also want people to be able to understand and take protective action if they live in a place with unhealthy air. And so it's important that they get the full picture of the source, of what the air pollution events are, even if they might not count for EPA deciding whether they need to clean up. Great. One more question, somewhat relatedly. Um, how does this report take into consideration of human behavior? 
So I think I would love, um, feel free to clarify in the Q&A box if this was your question, if I'm not addressing what you're asking. But I think it, it sounds to me like this is a little bit related to the previous one, which is, you know, are we taking into account what the sources of pollution are? Um, the answer is we don't. Um, so again, it, you know, we are trying to give people a picture of their local air quality. And so but whether or not a monitor is picking up air pollution from a wildfire caused by a lightning strike or from a local polluting factory, we think that, you know, based on the impact of people's lungs, they should be aware of it either way. Now, again, if you have questions or are interested in digging in more about um, where sources of pollution are coming from, um, we are happy to put you in touch with the, the right local staff person who can help you dig into that a bit more for, the, for a particular area. Next question, um, what are your thoughts about low-cost local air quality sensors to help communities understand their air quality if they don't have an EPA air monitoring station? Yeah, great question. So, you know, the report uses, State of the Air uses data from EPA's official regulatory air quality monitors, and we've talked, you know, a lot about the limitations of those in terms of the areas that they don't cover. And so we have seen a lot of people turn to networks of low-cost air sensors, so purple air, for instance, um, to get um, more immediate information on their air quality. Um, you know, there are some advantages to this. It can cover places that the official monitors don't. It's a little quicker to respond in real time. Um, and, you know, I think there is real opportunity for people to use them for information. We just also always share the caveats that, number one, there's, you know, unlike with the official monitors, there are no criteria for where you put one of those individual sensors. So, you know, it could be in a variety of places. It could be, you know, inside of a bag where it's not picking up air pollution. It could be immediately next to a polluting source in a way that um, that would reflect more pollution. And there's not really, you know, currently because they're personal, there's no way to tell that. So I think that it can be a useful source of additional information. Um, if uh, if you take it with a grain of salt, that they won't have the same quality assurance or citing criteria as official monitors. And then, oh, sorry, go ahead, Liz. I was just going to jump in um, quickly on that as well. I think, as Laura-Kate said, it's great for a personal awareness um, with those caveats. When it comes to the accountability of cleaning up pollution, so the Clean Air Act, as we've all established, is a wonderful tool for um, making sure that industry cleans up what what they are putting into the air. Uh, and so those are used, the official monitors with EPA are what are used to determine a county or um, a state's attainment status, so whether they're meeting the standards currently under the Clean Air Act. Um, and so those are the ones that go into for regulatory purposes um, for what the standards set and whether a state is meeting those standards. So as of right now, those personal monitors wouldn't feed into, for example, what this data is that we get from EPA. Uh, so a, a, a good tool for personal awareness and what you're breathing in, um, but much more needs to be done, which is why we encourage for or ask Congress for more funding on um, the air quality monitoring system that feeds into EPA. Thanks, Liz. One last quick point on this, too, is that I, this um, recently in California, EPA has actually piloted a project where they marry local sensor data with official monitor data to try and help people um, avoid the impacts of wildfire smoke. So I do think we'll continue to see more opportunities to incorporate this data um, to help people inform their health and their risk. 
Thanks both. So one other question, um, I believe a clarifier from the person who, um, or maybe another person, but regarding the human behavior piece and how human behavior can impact air quality. Um, so in order to make large changes, human behavior um, on a day-to-day -day basis uh, needs to change, I believe is what the person is asking about or um, wanting more information on. So I think that's a great, uh, you know, prompt to talk about our Stand Up for Clean Air initiative, um, which, which points out um, specific actions individuals can take to help improve their local air quality. Um, so I'd, I'd encourage folks to, to check out the Stand Up for Clean Air um, initiative we have on our website. And then also in the report, um, beyond the you know, federal policy recommendations we make, there are also tips for how people can help protect themselves and their families from, from bad air quality. Um, but I will, I'll stop there and see if Laura, Kate, or Liz have anything to add on um, individual actions people can take. Yeah, take a look at the report and the um, Stand Up for Clean Air initiative. There's really great resources uh, on there. Yeah, thanks so much for the clarifier. And, you know, we often say we need action at every level, right? We know that we need big federal policy changes. Um, we call for um, state-level action. Um, and local level action to clean up sources of emissions and address air quality and climate change. Um, and we really, you know, with our individual actions, it's a it's an important piece of the overall puzzle. We really want people to feel empowered. Um, and so the Stand Up for Clean Air initiative is linked in State of the Air. Um, I'll also be happy to um, drop the link in the Q&A box. It's lung.org slash air, but I'll, I'll stick a few resources in there at the very end. Um, but, you know, really the goal with this is to show people that they can take individual steps in their own lives to reduce their contributions to air pollution and climate change, um, and that that is an important part of the work that we're doing overall um, to address the health impacts of these problems. Thank you. Okay, next question. Do you know how many air quality monitors are located within large industrial areas? So the short answer is I'll say not offhand, but we can get back to you. I'll note that your your question is showing up in, in, as anonymous in my um, Q&A feed. So if you could uh, share your content information either in the Q&A or with me over email, um, we'll drop our emails in at the very end so that folks don't forget them. Um, we'd be happy to follow up more specifically. I will say in general that, again, the, the citing criteria that um, EPA sets for where the monitors are, um, try to avoid them being you know, immediately next to sources of pollution, um, but certainly still capturing them in a way that shows what the community around the area is breathing. Awesome. Okay. Um, another great question. The recent relief bill included additional funding for EPA that could go to air quality monitoring. How and where do you think the agency, EPA, should prioritize using the funding to add or improve monitors? It's a really great question. Um, and yes, it, the, the recently passed relief bill, the American Rescue Plan, did include funds for air quality monitoring. And there was specifically in the bill noting that uh, there had to be an environmental justice component to where that money goes. And so um, that was great to see. There are, you know, a couple of resources that exist across the federal government on identifying um, populations and areas that are at risk. 
Uh, and so I think it will be the one of the biggest tasks moving forward within the agency uh, to make sure that the funds uh, and the monitors are going to the communities that need them. Um, and EPA, uh, under new, new Administrator Regan, has set up environmental justice uh, working groups to address just that question. Um, but we always will continue to call for increased funding uh, for the air quality monitoring system with the very strong uh, note that the funds need to go to the areas that need it most. Thanks, Liz, um, With that, I'm not seeing any additional questions in the Q&A, so I'll just um, remind folks if you have any other questions, please enter them in the Q&A box now. And we'll give it a minute. Um, Robin, if you wouldn't mind going on to the slide uh, previous, listing emails. Thanks so much. Um, so while folks are um, entering any final questions they might have, just a reminder, um, this is Diana Van Leet speaking. You've also heard from Laura Kate Bender and Liz Muller. Um, our emails are there. Um, please feel free to reach out to us with questions. Okay, and I am seeing um, another question here in, in the box. Based on the big um, air quality and climate change policy shifts expected from the Biden administration, where do you see this report being used to push some air quality and, quality and climate change policies that might be harder to push for such a narrow majority in Congress? What specific policies do you all want to see move forward but are worried may not get through? Great question. Um, so yes, people uh, may forget that we have very slim majorities in both the Senate and the House this year. Um, and I think one of the great values that this report has is that it is focused on the health impacts. And we know that when people hear about the health impacts of climate change, they're more likely to want action because they can uh, equate it to a member of their own family who might have asthma or COPD and has to stay inside when the air quality gets bad. Um, so we're, we are obviously the expecting to see some large policies uh, or proposals move through Congress in the coming weeks and months, um, most notably with the most recent infrastructure proposal that the President has announced and that Congress is working on. Um, and so this report, I think, can really be used for members who might need a little bit more um, uh, firepower under their belts on why the urgent, why there is an urgent need to act on climate change because they have X number of people in their district who have asthma and uh, are are susceptible to worse health outcomes from breathing in air pollution. So the hope is that, and I think it's a strong indication from where the president has been um, ha has said, is that uh, health climate and equity are intertwined and they, they can't be separated. And so the hope is that this report can be used as a resource to, to underscore that urgency for action, starting with the, this infrastructure proposal that is, that is working through Congress. Thanks, Liz. I know our time is dwindling, so this is Laura Kate again. I do want to acknowledge one great point in the chat. Um, and one thing that we should have said at the top but didn't is that this report grades local air quality. It does not grade the efforts to clean up local air quality. 
Um, so we are um, shining a spotlight on the work left to be done, but that should in no way be construed as reflecting um, on <laughs> giving a letter grade to the work of the um, state and air district and community organizations who have worked to clean up the air. In fact, you know, we know that a lot of the places with um, failing grades, in fact, have made enormous progress and done a lot of work to um, make substantial strides in air quality. So that is something we should have noted at the top, but I wanted to get in before we jump off. Thanks, Laura Kate. Um, I see a question from Dante L. Is there any partnership or collaboration with healthcare organizations? If so, any interest in deploying a program within a healthcare system? Um, Dante, we definitely work with healthcare, healthcare organizations, um, and I'd be happy to follow up with you offline to discuss further, um, and we'll do so after the call. Um, and then I will also say um, there's a question about will this presentation be available on your website? Um, quickly, I'll just say that today's webinar is being recorded, and we will circulate um, the link to that recording to all, all who registered afterwards. Um, so thank you for your interest there. Um, and we will, so we'll follow up with that. Any other questions? Otherwise, I think we are getting to the end, the last chance. <laughs> Well, thank you all for your interest and for joining and for all of the work that each of you are doing um, you know, on air quality and climate change and, and beyond. Um, and uh, please let us know if you have any questions. We are here if you would like to discuss further. Thanks for your time today. <laughs>